0: Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Gemma Hurley. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Stuart.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I always find this starting the podcast weird, because what the guest, guess, what the listener doesn't know is we've just had about 10, 15 minutes just having a gym wag. I think but, we've been
1: talking about 35 minutes, but yeah, <laughs> it's been great.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, we, we you you are one of the writers on host, a mm-hmm. fairly, fairly, cultural phenomenon fairly big cultural phenomenon during the lockdown that's safe to say oh, um and um recent winner of best streaming film at the Fangoria awards as well which was quite amazing yeah
1: it was mad just a little bit yeah yeah it was great
0: and 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 you've come on to talk about five great found footage films which seems very apt um given given the subject matter of host so be, just not to, not to go into too much detail because i'm sure you've done a lot of talking about host but um i want to ask my one question i want to ask for sure is how do how do you write for so many characters when they're not in the room together with each other
1: uh how do you how do i write for them as characters yeah a character? how, how did how
0: did the host writing process go in terms of because obviously people are interacting on a screen they know each mm-hmm. other, so they've got history. So, as people, they know each other to a to a degree or not. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, those characters are not in the room. And obviously, a lot of a lot of what you can do with a character in a normal situation is have them physically interact with one another. Mm-hmm. But you, you 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 completely cut that off as an option because of the nature of host as a film. The idea that everyone's on a Zoom call. And I'm just fascinated mm-hmm. to know about sort of keeping each character sort of a involved and b um keeping the char- characters set you know different different enough from each other I just I just fascinated by that getting that balance in that right I
1: think that's a really interesting question Stuart it's not one I've really thought about before um just to give a bit of context um before I answer the um so I, I co-wrote the film with um the director Rob Savage and co-writer uh, Jed Shepard mm. and they it was all kind of based off a prank video I saw that, that they yes. did during lockdown on Zoom and they mm-hmm. like pranked the, their actor friends. Mm. And they basically had that as a premise, like they just want to do horror film on Zoom.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How is that? Is that possible? Um, and they didn't really have a story. They just had a bunch of scares and stunts that they wanted to do. So I kind of came on to kind of help find out what those characters are like, you know, cause they knew what actors they wanted to use cause they all knew each other, but like figure out what the characters and the relationships were. Cool. Um, and how you can, you know, what does, how does a zoom, uh, call affect our relationships? I suppose we're all just dis- kind of disconnected from each other and how can we mine that to like bring horror out of that kind of tension and mm. frustration. Um, so I mean, to your, to your question, um, you know it was only ever meant to be a very short film it was meant to originally be like you know 30 minutes and ended up being about like 50 50 minutes or something 56 minutes um so we you know we didn't have time for creating character backstory um really it was all just like what we're going to learn and, and understand about these characters is how they interact in real time on screen and we're just mm. going to fill in the blanks in our imagination and just um and a kind of quick way of doing that was um was just kind of setting up the kind of the hierarchy of that group, like you know, and yeah. the uh, the the main kind of tension between the two main female characters, Gemma and Haley, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, just like mining tension out of that. There's something wrong in that dynamic. You're not quite sure what that is, and and that was really it. Really, I mean, we we didn't want to like have, really didn't want to do tropes or stereotypes of mm. any of those characters we wanted them to feel very real and people that we either see ourselves in or recognize in our friends so that helps you fill in the backstory of who these characters are yeah, yeah so you yeah. feel like you know them um but it's- to some extent you have to like be able to differentiate them so you know there is you know one of them slightly more skeptical one of them slightly more um kind of like friendly and caring or mm. one's a bit more of a scaredy cat and you know we, we had those elements but really it was just exaggerating um, certain aspects of their personalities and maybe like tweaking things mm. to just create more tension
2: you see anything? it's, it. it's, it. it's things there, it's fine get okay, go
0: But oh, but also I mean that that on the one hand but also I was thinking is that if you if you put six or seven people in a room together and this might be me and my frailties as a writer but there's that idea of oh bugger uh, John's not said anything for a long time I better make sure I better give him something to do when you've got people on a call like that. Mm-hmm. Like that, that on they're kind of always present in the action, aren't they? That's kind of what that balancing act of how do you how do you balance the idea of involving people and accepting that everyone can't be involved because it's a screen.
1: Well, I think there's there's two elements of that. The first one is like our amazing editor and um, Brenna, who um, she got nominated for a BIFFER for this hmm. film, actually. Um, who you know, she kind of subtly finds ways. So you kind of, if people are not that present, she finds ways. That you don't really notice it, yeah. Um, and obviously, uh, Rob Savage is directing, uh, comes into that a lot. But um, I think that kind of comes down to the nature of Zoom. Uh, for me, you know, I, you know, only one person can speak at one time. Otherwise, you can't hear what anyone's saying, and so it kind of forces you to have these quite. One person has the conch or whatever, mm. um, which is quite helpful. So it it's it feels realistic because that's kind of what Zoom calls are like, where only one person can really talk at one point, and it's just about. It's more about the editing, really, um, and like just finding reasons why someone's going off screen to do something, you know, mm. at key moments that you just don't notice. It's all quite subliminal. And a lot of that really, I can't take credit for it. It's really down to um, Rob and the editor.
0: Fantastic. Now, um, one last thing then. Um, in terms of like horror films can be read in all kinds of different ways. Room mm-hmm. 237 has proved that with The Shining. What's mm-hmm. the wildest theory of you've seen someone attempt to describe what has gone on in host that you've, that has really appealed to you?
1: Um, oh gosh, that's such a good question. So, um, well, first of all, for hosts, who, anyone who hasn't seen it, I probably should have said it's um, about five women who do a um, zoom call and they accidentally summon a demon during a seance on the zoom call. So yeah. the, the dark theories we've had about hosts um, is mainly about like, what's really going on, like who's responsible
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the demon summoning. Uh my favorite one is that um Salem, the the medium who comes on to like lead their seance is actually um a little bit evil and has summoned the the demon in the background without like anyone realizing. Okay. Um there's a moment where like on the call where they call on the Zoom call where they call the medium back for help. It's like, oh God, we've been, you know, there's a there's a demon and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, do we actually trust? that the medium's telling the truth or not about what's going on. And I love that some people have like kind of tuned into that. It's quite fun.
0: No, t- no, I, 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 that is great. I like that. Um <laughs> And just to add as well, it scared the living daylights out of me. And, I, and because we were, it, it, it sort of it, it arrived at a time where we were just, we were consumed by the idea of Zoom as our contact with the world. Oh my God, yeah. And then you went and thrown a spanner in the work by saying, well, all right, well, what about if a demon is part of your call? So thanks for that, Gemma.
1: Yeah, I've I've had people say that they forget they're watching a film and they um and they think because you if you watch it on your laptop you could forget you know you think that you're part of the Zoom call and there's a moment oh, in the yeah. film uh, where um you know it's not really a spoiler but there's a moment where that kind of you know, your your free minute Zoom call is ending like you know ten minutes from the end and like a lot of people have said like they actually unconsciously try and like get rid of that notification as if they are in the Zoom call and they've forgotten. <laughs> So for me, that's the biggest success. That's the suspension of disbelief.
0: No, totally. Well done. And congratulations anyway. Thanks,
1: Thanks. Stuart.
0: We're going to do five great found footage films, of which I've got a selection from you pre-prepared, and we're Mm going to do them in reverse date order, oldest to newest, which is the the usual format. Um, Mm -hmm. Just for the listener that's not heard this the five format before, we do five films and it's five minutes chat per film. And every time we get to the end of five minutes, Pig is going to bark, pig being the name of my friend's pen, French Bulldog, but in reality, it is the bark on an iPhone. So that is gonna go off at five minutes. And I'm not going to stop you talking by any stretch of imagination. We can you can finish your thoughts and sentences, but it is it is a it is a fun way to partake in it to just go, okay, that's the five minutes then, next film. Um Great. but I won't I won't just rudely jump in and go, right, five minutes are off. So you know, Shut don't up. Don't worry about that. But it is just, it's there to tell us five minutes are up. And right. okay. the theory being, again, for the listener who's not heard the five format before, it's so we spend an equal amount of time on all five films. So um, for the duration of the show. Right then, before we go into the five films that you're going to choose, um, let's talk about what a found footage film is first. I mean, you you haven't having written one, makes, puts you in quite the expert seat. but, um, But I think there's more than there's more than one type. So do you want to tell us what you think or what you believe um, found footage is as a as a subgenre of horror?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, Stuart. I think I just wanted to um, chat a little bit about it first because I'm aware that some people absolutely hate found footage films mm. and that it's a real marmite thing in the horror community, um, which I find quite... I mean, I love found footage and I, I always find it quite interesting why people um, are put off by it. And I, I appreciate, you know, there are aspects where it's it's rarely character led fan footage because you, you know, it's quite rare to be able to, you can't see the protagonist's face a lot of the time. Or, you know, there's kind of sickening camera movements and and things like that. um But for me, I love fan footage because um it's you know it it brings you, it pulls you through the fourth wall um into the film for me where I feel like I feel much more in jeopardy watching a found footage film than I do seeing like a normal normally staged um movie and I think there's lots of reasons for that I think because you know what found footage is it for me it's like the camera exists within the world of the story within the world where the horrifying thing is happening Whether be that a you know a shaky handheld footage camera um, or like a documentary film crew filming within a story or even a webcam. Mm. Um, it, the the ca- You are the camera, the audience is the eye, and you are in that um, story witnessing it with them. So, you know, if you see like that classic thing at the end of Blair Witch Project where you see, you know, the thing in the corner, you know, you are terrified that something is behind you as the viewer. Um, and I think that's what I love about it. It really just breaks down... The barriers it pulls you into the screen um and um it really just asks you to suspend your disbelief and sometimes quite directly you know i will talk about some found footage films in a minute where they they actually claim that they are real they are they have actually been found um but um oftentimes in modern kind of found footage films it's much more subliminal because we're much more used to the format um so this is this essentially these are my top five favorite found footage films and it's a bit of a a love story to them and i hope if anyone's on the fence about them i can convince you to appreciate them as much as i do
0: well that's cool cuz cuz you're right as as a regular fright fest it's it's when you see the the definition of in in the program that says this is a found footage film your heart mm. your heart can sink and mm. and that's not to say that there aren't good found footage films and there are definitely bad straightforward narrative drama horror films that's let's, let's mm. not beat around the bush um but the the found footage got as 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 a lot of formats do when when someone gets upon an idea and we're going to talk yeah, it about it. yeah gets
1: a bit gimmicky doesn't it
0: well yeah. not even gimmicky it's just that it gets in the hands of people who don't know what they're doing and they confuse mm. the idea of easy access to a camera and the mobility of smaller cameras and phones to mean that they can just throw a camera around a room and we'll get scared of it and yeah <laughs> like you described before with the how how hosts got developed There's a director and an editor that's playing with these images and the nature of how we see them and the rhythm of it that makes for the fear.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you're right. You know, a a bad film is a bad film, Mm. whether it's, you know, found footage or not. Um, And I think the term, just to kind of clarify our terms, sorry, I don't want to get too academic about it, but um, I think found footage does kind of cover cover quite a variety of films. Like they don't always have to be technically found as a bit of a misnomer now. Yeah. Um, you know, so yes, like we have the Blair Witches and the Cloverfields that are found and it's, that, uh, you know, usually like tells you explicitly with like a, you know, a subtitle at the beginning. Hmm. Um, but they also can cover things that are um, you know, like screen life films like Unfriended, where it's all like done on a Skype call and you're like it is meant, it's just whatever it's kind of like a film within a film, I guess, or like a, the camera exists within the world. Um, but I, yes, I was going to say, I think, we'll... I think
0: establishing why we can see what's going on is the yeah. toughest job of a found footage film mm. at, across the whole spectrum. I mean, I think the easiest one, and we'll discuss, the easiest one to convince people, and we're going to discuss one of them, is where literally it is a documentary presenting itself as true. Yeah. So you're kind of believing this is real. So mm-hmm. when it mixes between past and pre- uh, past and present, when it gets into the present, you're believing you're watching something that's that, that everyone's experiencing because yeah. you're in you're in with the characters. Whereas collaging together five thousand hours of hard drive like in Troll Hunter, you know you can believe yeah this is what they put together, but it f- stretches your imagination to believe that somehow.
1: This is this is what I love, because I think as as the genre, I don't know if it's technically a genre or more of a a filming device Mm. um, as it's developed and we have become smarter and more familiar with it. I love how creative directors and writers have found a way to take that next leap in your suspension of disbelief. Mm. Because we're no longer going to like, you know, watch a film now in the cinema and be like, oh, yeah, sure. Like Paramount. Or Blumhouse f- just happened to find this film and get the rights to it you know we're, we're never going to believe that mm. anymore in the way that we might have done in 1999 when Blair Witch Project came out um you know there have been ways that people have like well we're not showing you the film we're doing a documentary about some weird footage so then you kind of believe it and you lean into it like okay like what have you got to say about this you know you know we kind of believe a documentary more than we do like the raw stuff and mm. then you know, but we we can talk we can get into all of that. But, well, that's
0: I mean that the, my favorite one of that is is the film called The Conspiracy, where Ooh, it begins off as a story about someone making a documentary about a conspiracy nut, and mm. the conspiracy nut goes missing, and all the evidence of their investigation is left behind. About, yeah. And so they then end up becoming the obsessed conspiracy nut themselves. Yes. And, and the, the tool they use which m- gets you over that, well, where, how would they get a camera in, is they wear a pinhole camera in their tie. So you've got this idea of two people. You can see each other's faces talking. Has
2: anyone ever tried to infiltrate one of these meetings? You know, I realise now that they're never going to let this movie get out. Let's say that there are these people that secretly run things. Then they've always run things. Throughout history, men
0: have been trying to conquer the world. From Alexander the Great to Napoleon to Hitler.
2: If anyone thinks this time we live in is any different, I ask them.
0: Stuff. i mean it's again it's constructed but um but it works and because i and if you go into these things cold you can kind of buy into it
1: yeah yeah
0: let's let's venture into your five then i'll um i'll start my clock on um ghost watch the uh the, the feature length i mean it's a tv movie i suppose i mean it was a tv drama but but certainly tv movie do you want to tell us what how you where, when you came across this and uh
1: yeah um Ghost watch um, I'm really excited to talk about actually because it's a movie that I'd heard so much about growing up and I hadn't seen it it came out in um, it just for, for what it is it, it came out in 1992 uh, the BBC. Essentially tricked the British public um, on Halloween um, in nineteen ninety-two they said they were gonna do a live event. They're gonna do a live we're gonna do a live documentary, a live seance mm. in this haunted house somewhere in, in London.
2: Upstairs. Children, come on. No, Sarah, Sarah, stay where you are please. Sarah, stay there, please. Don't go upstairs. What? Why? because we hear that Suzanne's got out of bed, but she's not yet stay appeared. Here, I don't know she's, why. Not, she's not appeared on the landing. Suzanne, where, where is she? It, it, it could be a piece of its usual misdirection. I just, trust me, Sarah. Stay oh, Suzanne must still be in the bedroom. But where? where? The camera range, right in the corner of the room. Can we cut to the hall camera? No, sorry. Sorry, the landing camera.
1: And, um, you know, they had all these really credible actors, um, not even actors, like presenters, like Michael Parkinson, who's like a, you know, if you're not British, you wouldn't you know, necessarily know who he is, but like a really credible presenter and like a, um, like a children's presenter from BBC, um, from Blue Pizza. Um, you know, so, you know, these are not actors in our head. We are watching something real and they, they put it on at Halloween and um, they basically had a, a kind of documentary crew go into this haunted house, talk to, like a, um, you know, a single mother with her two children who said that there's this creepy ghost in our house called Mr. Pipes. And, um that, you know, there's all these, you know, like rattling on the radiators and cats meowing and just, you know, creepy poltergeist stuff going mm-hmm. on. Um And the documentary crew is like, okay, we're going to find out the truth tonight. What's, you know, are we going to catch a glimpse of Mr. Pipes? And you're mm-hmm. all like kind of geed up for it. And you're like, ooh, are we going to see everything? And, um, and, you know, and even though it's all filmed in advance and the audience... We'd, none of us knew anything of this and um, they had a sort of to add to the kind of suspension of disbelief they had this uh, hotline that you could call up if you saw anything on the screen or if you wanted to share your own ghost stories um, which was really smart because um, allegedly if you called up this hotline and you know said like oh I saw Mr Pipes or anything like that you you would actually be told you know like don't worry this is this is a fake recording you know it's not real Um, but of course this is before the days of twitter and before the days of like the internet and stuff so the whole like you know pretty much all the nation at the time when there was only like four channels i think were all like just watching this believing that they were seeing a genuine ghost like on tv um and it ended up getting the highest um i think yeah the highest number of complaints or something like that oh yes it went Uh, it was banned. it It was bananas yeah, it just really screwed with like the, you know, the fra- the fragile British public. Um, and I, I just love it. I only saw it. Um, I finally saw it like kind of like this time last year when we were looking at references for Host. Yeah. Um, and Rob and Jed were just like, OK, let's like, you know, if you watch Ghostwatch, you'll see how much we have creatively borrowed. And like, you know, it was, it was directed by Leslie Manning. It was written by Stephen Volk. Um, extremely talented people and just so much of it it was all just about how can we suspend the audience disbelief and even though it's not technically you know found footage film it is mm. a sort of you know um, talking about like the camera exists within the world it is a it's a, 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 um, uh, a pseudo documentary live event and I, I you know it would be amazing if you could do something like that today maybe someone will find a way to really
0: mm.
1: you know s- suspend our disbelief um, you know, maybe it'll be like I don't know. Maybe
0: TikTok will do well, like as, a live as, horror because yeah, yeah. in '92, you know, you trusted the television. You know, it wasn't yeah. it didn't it didn't lie to you in in the way that that we understand exactly, yeah. misinformation now. So when the BBC said we're going to do a show about ghost investigations, which if I'm you right was them. already on the fringes of sort of what what become trash TV anyway, the idea that you would go around with an infrared camera and just go in dark rooms, so. The, the the idea was already sort of in the in the public imagination, so they just expanded on it. I mean, we've ha- I've had Stephen Volk on the show talking about oh, it. Oh, amazing! Because um, he wrote the amazing The Awakenings as well. Um, mm. And yes, it's it's amazing how easily we are sort of confused because the 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 League of Gentlemen guys tried as created a similar thing years later. Oh, just a couple of re- couple of uh, years ago, and and while they they, it's very it, it's a very much an ode to Ghost Watch. I mean, I watched it on a TiVo, so it's kind of you know the idea that it went right. out as a live broadcast and things went wrong. It, right. Yeah. It, oh, yes. I know you are
1: talking about now. Yes. It couldn't.
0: It couldn't do. It couldn't replicate what. And obviously, like you say, the brilliance of Ghostwatch Watch was this notion of if you did ring the number, you were still interacting with the show, but the show went, look, don't worry, yeah. right. it's just pr- make believe. Yeah. Um,
1: People really believed it. Um, you know, maybe we're, we're in those that innocent age um, and it's going to be increasingly difficult to, to
0: convince our
1: cynical filmmakers, but they'll, they'll find a way. Creativity always finds a way. I just wonder what it will be next.
0: Indeed, indeed. Oh, well there's our you, timer. There's the first barking of the dog, which jump, leaps us forward seven years to, I guess, the, the the godfather of the modern found footage film by a witch from 1999.
1: Yes, so I mean, I don't know if there will be many people listening to this who haven't seen the Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anyone who hasn't, it is uh, sort of one of the the classic original. This is where found footage genre kind of got its name, even though it, you know, I don't know when when did Cannibal Holocaust? Cannibal Holocaust out? is nineteen
0: eighty.
1: Well, there you go. So it's like you know nineteen years later. But like when people think of found footage, the you know original, they really do think of Blair mm. Witch Project. And I think. Is that to do, maybe it was to do with the mystique of what happened when that film came out and people really believing that those actors in the film had died because, you know, I think it has that classic text at the beginning saying, you know, like these students went missing five years ago and nobody found them. And, you know, there was all this like real mystique that was drummed up around it, um, which added to that kind of suspension of disbelief we've been talking about. Um, But yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's, you know, it's about three student filmmakers who go off onto the woods trying to document a local witch um, story.
2: What's this? Whoa. What is this? Dude, guys. Do you remember something that Mary Brown said the other day? What was the story from the Bible that she was telling us? Fuck, I wasn't listening to her because I thought she was a lunatic. So, it was Esau, but it was something about a pile of rocks. Well, she was totally about a rock. Well, what the fuck was it about a pile of rocks? Does anybody remember? Uh, Dude, yeah. live your life. This is like... Live your life. like an Indian burial ground,
1: man. Huh? You know, I, I first saw it when I was about, I don't know, like 14 years old, and it just it really just gripped me. I just, I think I've seen it like about 10 times and I don't know. I think it's something about uh, seeing sort of young people get into that sort of, it, it was not group hysteria, but they, they kind of, you're never quite, you never see the witch. You're never quite sure is it really happening all of the kind of creepy stuff outside their tents at the middle of the night which we're all scared of you know like Mm. especially when you're young you know like you know is, is there something in the woods is there something outside is there something in the dark um but you know you never see the witch and that always chilled me because it was like well who's to blame for what really happened to them you know the the main the main character, Heather, you know, that she does that very iconic, famous scene where she's like apologising to the camera with like, you know, snot coming down her nose. And for me, that film is all about who is to blame. And, you know, she's apologising. She says it's her fault, but is it? Is, you know, she says she pushed it too much. Whereas, um, you know, there's this kind of fan theory about whether one of the guy who goes missing, Josh, I think his name is first, like whether he's actually behind all of the awful things that happen. like perhaps he's, being possessed by the Blair Witch and is is doing this to his um his his filmmaking friends and it's it's him who attacks them in that house at the end. We'll never know. Mm. Um but that's what I love about it. It just kind of gives you that kind of mystery um about, you know, how are, you know, these things like those the bumps in the night, those noises can play tricks on our mind and make us act out in in strange ways. Like you see how they all kind of turn on each other. Um, and it just felt, for me, it just felt really real. I, I honestly believed I could go into the woods and that could happen to me. Well, I don't it, know about you, Stuart.
0: Well, the interesting thing about the phenomena when it first came round, which is, which there's echoes of Ghostwatch in a way, is that what you had was the birth of the internet and Blair Witch was one of the first oh, films yeah. to sort of use the mythology that you could mm. you could create outside of traditional media. So there was this, this meta story all developing and an understanding. And the filmmakers used the internet to create the mythos. Yeah. So if you Googled, I don't know if you think you could Google in 99, but if you searched on the internet for the Blair Witch, you would find, so if, before you even watched the film, you would have been able to find something about the Blair Witch yeah. and therefore go to the cinema to watch about the Blair Witch. You could be loaded with information. So pre-social media, you wouldn't have been coming across spoilerific, ruining mm-hmm. it for you i mean it's a it's it's again it's sort of that that, that cusp of a of a transition in medium and, and a creative solution to a problem we didn't know exactly. we had yeah and the opportunity blew out of that but it was definitely a naivety that made it scary because mm. and i think the, the scene you mentioned about talking to the camera i mean that is something else isn't it that 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 um in a traditional narrative you wouldn't have that window out of the horror film whereas She's looking into it. I mean, essentially, she's looking at the size of her thumb in her face as if yeah. that's somehow enough to escape the reality of the horror that's going on. I mean, in fact, if you held your phone up to your face, it doesn't protect you from anything, does it? But
1: No, but it feels like we're there with her, like we're comforting mm. her, but also we're in the tent with her and the Blair Witch could kill us as well. That's mm. what I kind of like about that. Um, but you're right. It is just using kind of creativity to... Um again, just suspend our disbelief in a way that would not have been possible um five years before that film.
0: Yeah, and, and five years later we were too savvy. Yeah. But oh. pigs barking again, that five minutes flew. Right, then swiftly moving on to the if 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 um if Blair Witch is the is the granddaddy, then then uh then this is the grandmother. Um because this this was, I guess, the next the next cultural phenomena in the in it, and and I don't think, and it's interesting watching it in 2021. Um, and I'm talking about Paranormal Activity from 2007. Um, it it doesn't have the impact I don't think that I thought it had in 2007. But talk to me about 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 what you th- what what your thoughts are on Paranormal and, and how you come. Did you come across it at the time it came out? Is it something you saw at the yeah. pictures there and then?
1: Yeah, um it, it would have been. I would have been at uni around that time. Mm. Um and uh yeah, I think that's really interesting because I've seen it now and at, at the time I did have a different take on it. I'm really curious um what your take is, but um, you know, I'm assuming everyone has, has seen. Paramount Activity 1. Although, Stuart, you said you've only seen Paramount Activity 3
0: to me. No, no, up until getting ready for this podcast, I hadn't realised I hadn't seen it, so I watched it. That's mad. And I was glad I watched it um, because, to me, watch, and I watched it with my headphones on and a nice sort of 20-odd inch screen on my computer, but the sound design is what makes it work, not the um, the images in a lot of senses. And when you've got your headphones on listening Mm -hmm. in, and I imagine if you're in the cinema, the kind yeah. of whispering, and the manipulation of the person, while while they while while you're being while you don't know what's going on, must must have been intense.
1: Yeah, like paranormal activity. I think it's like one of those. Um, I'm going to mess it all up and get it wrong, but it's one of those like a early day Blumhouse movies. It, it's the film you know, that it, made
0: Blumhouse. To be honest with you, it's yeah. there's, no, there's no other way to describe it.
1: And it's got all those classic kind of things that um, you know, like the classic kind of jump scares um, that we're all kind of used to now. And, um, for the time for me, that was just like, Oh God, like I, I felt like I was going to be sick, like watching, you know, those, those thumps and the store sounds and things like that. And I appreciate perhaps now we're a bit more kind of jaded by those techniques, but at the time it was really just, you know, again, it's, um, a kind of pseudo diary entry kind of, uh film um where it's not like someone with shaky camera necessarily running about the woods and it's set up in more of a kind of cct format at least for a lot of the film and it's kind of got that kind of bluish grainy CCTV but, it is a, but it's
0: a guy it. with a camera filming that's the thing technically
1: yeah he's, yeah he's, and he's
0: he's gone and bought one
1: yes yes but he, he's he's uh it's it's strange also for me what's really I've kind of appreciated more perhaps with time. What the film is about is about this kind of essentially quite a toxic relationship. That I was these going to two... say it's about a
0: mansplainer if anything else.
1: Yeah. It's about this getting my like, gaslighting dude. He's, you know, he's really just trying to, his, 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 his uh, control over his home is at stake. His control over his relationship mm. is in jeopardy. And he, you can see how threatened he is and all the things he's doing desperately to Get control over his situation where he, you know, he doesn't leave the house, he doesn't get help, he does everything possible to antagonize the spirit because he knows best. Mm. Um, and um, that's what I found really interesting. You can't help but hate him, you know, you see how, um, you know, small minded that is and and quite and so dangerous. Um, so that's I think that's like what I really love about that film and some of the acting um isn't the best necessarily in this film from especially from Micah's character the guys um but yeah I I just think it's just like it really just it it takes you into a bedroom like the place you're meant to be safest you Mm. know as an adult with your partner and you are just you know you are a child again you you have no you're completely exposed. And I think that's what that film really, how that film really got under my skin, you know, is, you know, cause everyone has, as a kid, you always got that thing where you're just like, you know, there's something standing in the corner of my room.
2: Mm.
1: Um, but in this, like his girlfriend becomes the thing kind of just like standing in the corner of the room. And it really just turns all of those, those fundamental uh, fears on their heads and, you know, gets you where in the most exposed place. And I think that's for me why it's very effective.
0: I mean, I love, the, I love the way that he, he is playing the, the male archetype of horror mm. in the sense mm. of he is going to solve it with rationality. Yeah. And yet he doesn't hear, he, he can hear what she's saying, but he's not listening to her, yeah. I, A, her fear, and B, her want for it to go. She doesn't want to solve it. She just wants it to stop. This is, this is He doesn't seem to want to understand that this has affected her since she was a kid. This isn't like they bought yeah. a house that's got something going bump in the night. This is something yeah. that's been with her all her life, as she remembers it. And his response yeah. is, "Well, maybe you should have told me this when we first started dating. Maybe you should have told me this when we moved into it. And you're like thinking, "You're looking at this at the wrong end of the spectrum, mate. This is yeah, your partner. It, if you're it, in love with her, is not happy, and." That could be supernatural. Yeah. That could just be depression. I mean, it doesn't.
1: Exactly. Or or abuse, yeah. you know, like you're not going to tell someone on a date, like your first date, oh, by the way, like I was abused by my whatever, mm. like when I was a child and it haunts me to this day and follows me wherever I go. Like that's not how things work. And I think that's such an interesting, I think they've got so many things right about that relationship dynamic and how.
0: And I love um, the big, the way they flip it is mm. is the photograph in the loft, because obviously it's from her childhood. Ooh. There's no way he could have known about it. And so now he's faced with the reality that this yeah. is beyond both of their control and it's everything she's told him.
1: Yeah, that is the most chilling moment. Yeah. Oh, I, I wrote, actually, yeah, it, I wrote just...
0: the creepy photograph.
1: <laughs> just sends like chills going down my spine thinking about that moment, but yeah.
0: Because it all comes to a head at that point, doesn't it? It really is about, mm. well, what's really going on? You know, pipes can go clang, you know, the house yeah. can creak. I mean, I live in a Victorian house. It's as noisy as hell sometimes. But photographs with singed edges found in your loft space yeah. is not to do with an old house.
1: Yeah. Oh. But just one more thing on that go on. before we move on. Like the for me, what's really interesting about that st- um is that the the poltergeist in uh, paranormal activity or the demon, pardon me it's a male presence and it really is like this, he is um, almost affronted by this kind of male demon that's trying, literally trying to possess and take his girlfriend away from him. Mm. Um and yeah. And I just, I just think it's, it's a fabulous, fabulous story. But
0: yeah. I mean, he, he even says at one point, no demons taking my chick. I think he literally <laughs> says at one point. It's
1: like dude, let yeah. go of the patriarchy. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's not, wise up. he's yeah. not doing it. Um, no. A lot more a lot more subtle, but no less creepy, is your next choice, which is Late Mungo from 2008. Do you want to talk us yeah. through that as a choice?
1: Yeah, so Late Mungo, um, yeah, 2008 is an Australian sort of mix of pseudo-documentary and found footage. It's a film I hadn't heard about until, um, again, uh, maybe this time last year when uh, Rob and Jed were, like, yeah, we were talking about references for what hosts could feel like. Yeah. Um, And I was just blown away. I was like, what is this film? Um, And I think it's getting a little bit of a resurgence at the moment. You can Mm. buy the DVD for quite a while, but I think that the fancy Blu-ray has just come out.
2: Mm.
1: And um, so basically for probably a lot of you who've never heard of it or seen it, it's about, it's a, basically a girl called Alice Palmer um, goes, dies swimming with her family. And her family, um, a few weeks later, start to feel like Alice hasn't gone anywhere. Her presence is still in the house. You know, there's like slightly poltergeist things that are happening. So Mm. her brother, Michael, decides to set up a camera, like, because he's seen the movies that we've all seen, as, you know, to try and catch um, proof of Alice still being here. Um, And then, but the film is like a kind of meta documentary on top of that with these these, um, interviews with the family talking about um, what they've seen while also kind of cutting this kind of found footage from Michael's thing. So you really do kind of, for me, that kind of suspend your disbelief, or at least it might have in 2008 a bit more, um, where, you know, oh God, like, is this a real documentary about this family? And, you know, is, you know, we could, we can buy that this could be a real thing in the way that, you know, you know, Netflix do all these kind of, spooky documentaries. Like the most recent one is like, the Cecil Hotel or whatever. The autopsy was performed on the Monday, the 27th.
2: Then the coroner released the body on the Tuesday,
1: the 28th. It was very strange spending Christmas day with the family up there while Alice lay alone in the
2: morgue. I don't know, it was just like I hadn't seen her for a week or anything, like... Yeah, it didn't feel real.
1: Death takes everything eventually. It's the meanest, dumbest machine there is, and it just keeps coming, and it doesn't care. And everything, and there's, I don't want to spoil the twist about this film. Um, about like, you know, you think it's gonna be one thing, and it, it turns out to be something else. But really, it's not. It's completely different to Paranormal Activity and tone. It, it's not like a bump in the night, uh, jump horror, jump scare film. It's it's really a story about grief. It's a story about loss. About this family trying to come to terms with this awful awful loss and trying to move on from it Mm. but at the same time this kind of mystery about um you know this poor girl this awful thing happened to her who you kind of as the story i don't want to again i don't want to spoil it but like you as the story goes on you kind of get the sense that she knew something awful was going to happen to her and that's where the most kind of chilling twist of the whole show comes from um where you you know, what, what happens to ghosts and, and it, what, what is life after death and living can move on, but can ghosts. And it's, it's, it's so just thinking about it, 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 um, it's just a very unexpected, gentle horror film, basically. And well, I'm, I'm going really to say the big difference
0: between the first three and this yeah. one is that is what you're describing. It's the personal nature of who we think is the presence that's disturbing our reality. You know, it's mm. a grieving parent. Yes. It's a grieving brother. Mm. <clears throat> you know, people talk people talk a lot in the film about closure and um people go in to visit psychics to yeah. to 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 try and understand what's going on. I mean, this is this is real um real human experience. This isn't just about fear. I mean, in fact, yeah. it's rarely about fear. I mean, it's fear. I think the audience gets to experience fear because that's what we're taught with horror films, but in mm. when when the film's run its course, you can look back and go, "Oh my word, that was really about how we're well, not very good and unsurprisingly when people we love die,
1: yeah, yeah, it's more like a drama with supernatural i mean there are there is one horrifying moment that really just like i I wanted to throw my laptop across the room towards the end of the film um where you I don't want to spoil it, but you you see something that is just kind of like flips everything on its head. There's this kind of face looming out of the darkness. And you're talking about the phone
0: footage at this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So there's like, you know, yeah, I don't want to spoil it, but that really just made me feel quite sick when I saw that. But apart from that, I think the film is almost like just a drama with this supernatural kind of like, ooh, like, I I wish thought.
0: I mean, again, without being specific and spoiling it, but yeah, I wish I'd thought of that idea. That is so brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, um, and there's also like an extra ending to this film in the credits, which I kind of want to do a nod to where you kind of, you watch the whole film and you think, oh, I understood what that was all about. And then you see the credits and they have all this, oh, my God, this thing was there all along, kind of um, a re-examination of the entire thing. And again, it's just like layers upon layers upon layers. And it, yeah, brilliant watch it definitely
0: no i totally agree and i'm grateful i should i should admit now at this point even though i'm talking about it enthusiastically i had had this film in my to watch pile for probably five years so i was Mm. one of the people that had the dvd despite it being out of print and um in preparation for this i got to watch it and i'm so glad i did because it's uh it's a wonderful piece and in fact it's it's the kind of thing that reminds me what where you started with your kind of um your your kind of um Soapbox for pro found footage is that it it can be done when it's done well it's brilliant and and just calling it found footage try not to be too marmite about it because like I said you're not marmite about something when it's straightforward narrative and yet yeah. you manage to endure lots of terrible straightforward narratives well look our last five minutes is going to be dedicated to 2014's creep which. I think in the found footage. So we've had. I mean, I guess I'll just pause before I start the clock. Um, we've had a live TV show be just sort of you know prank prank the audience as it were. Mm-hmm. We've got a student film that's presenting as a true story. We've got the nature of just what goes bump in the night, and then that, and then what I love about paranormal activity is it, it doesn't pretend there's no supernatural; it goes full on. And then yeah. we've got the the nature of exploring grief and how essentially you could argue that the unsettled soul is a metaphor for the unsettled family, yeah, whereas creep is about someone making a film with somebody, so the whole artifice of the film is is from the get go there's no there's no there's no kind of trick being done it's like this is a film about a man making a film about another man, so tell yeah. us about creep for you
1: creep um I, I think it's a spectacular film, and so is Creep 2. Um, but I'll talk about the first one, because it came out um, in 2014. And I think, I I mean, I don't know about you, Stuart. For me, this isn't a film where I think my suspension, my belief is suspended. Like, I know I am watching a film that mm. someone has... I know that they're in, I know that Mark Duplass is an actor. He's not actually a psychopath. Um, but if you haven't seen Creep, um, it's essentially two two people in the entire film. It is a videographer who, um I think he gets, he sees a job on Craigslist. He's so desperate for money. Yeah, yeah. He's like, I need money. There's Someone wants me to film him. I don't know what it is. Let's go to his house up in the mountains. Hopefully nothing bad will happen, you know. Mm. And, uh, you know, as soon as he gets there, you kind of, you're uh, immediately uneasy about that. the guy he's there to document, who claims he is, you know, I... I'm a, I'm a really rich guy. Um, he's got this beautiful house. I've got terminal cancer. I want to make a film about me and my life for my unborn, for my son, basically, when right. he's older. He, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's a bit weird. Maybe he's just eccentric. You know, rich people are eccentric. He's American. You know, th- there are those people in California who are like that. You mm. know, it's you could, and I think that's what I the thing I love about this film is that as an audience member and and as you're with the kind of videographer kind of discovering more and more about the um, uh, Joseph who's Mark Duplass the kind of is he a psycho is he not a psycho guy that you're just constantly just like I don't know like and at one point you're like oh god like he's definitely he's definitely this this horrible person another point you're like oh you know maybe I've just misunderstood him. I'm judging him
2: Alright, we are uh, leaving the Flatlands and we are heading up towards the mountaintop. We had a $1,000 for the day, filming services. Discretion is appreciated. A yellow door. I'm realizing that no one knows I'm here. Hi! Oh, shit. oh I'm sorry. I-, I didn't mean to scare you. I'm assuming you're Aaron. Yeah. I'm Eric. Joseph, oh my god. Oh my god.
1: This is gonna be a good day. So, the reason I've hired you is because I have terminal brain cancer and I want you to film me to make a video diary for my unborn son.
2: You ready for this? Okay. Grocer, this is called an adventure. Woo-hoo! We don't know exactly where we're going. <laughs> But I have a feeling,
1: when you follow those feelings, great things can happen. Don't ever forget that. Joseph! Ah!
2: <laughs> there was about two seconds there
1: where it looked like you wanted to kill me.
2: Joseph, I think I'm gonna head back. you see my keys? One drink, okay. Bottoms
1: up. And I think what's, for me, what's really that's the suspension of disbelief here about like, I don't know whether to believe what's happening to me, what, what's happening is real or what I think it is or whether it's a twist on it.
2: Mm. And
1: he uses all these great um, you know, things like love bombing where you, you almost feel like you want um, this kind of millionaire's um, approval it's really interesting and especially as a female. And that's why I really like creep two as well. Cause it's a, kind of a female protagonist comes in, Indeed, but you kind of, um, you kind of buy into his, his thing. You want his approval. You want to um, prove you're a good guy through all these like subtle techniques he uses that are quite manipulative. And um, cause he's quite an enigmatic charismatic character. And I, I, I find that I haven't seen that. And especially for the, fan footage genre which is not usually a particular character based um kind of genre Mm -hmm. this is really just about like you're you're kind of uh falling for this psycho in this really um twisted way and there's i mean i don't want to it's not too much of a spoiler to be like you know maybe we shouldn't trust
0: the creep. yeah no it's the the title of the film is creep i think we we yeah you you get it
1: but there's this there's this and for me that was the there's this thing at the end about um when he told me I don't want to give it away but like for me that all summed up the way um the psycho talks to the camera about this other um about the videographer and he says like you you know you are I loved you You you're my you're my favorite you're my favorite because you trusted me because you're a good person Mm. and I feel like as an audience member that's what he was asking me to do is to believe him and believe in the good in people and not judge anyone I think maybe maybe there's a kind of left-wingy social do-gooder thing in, in a certain type of person who would, you know, fall for this more than others. But I know personally in my life I've been in those situations where I've like, you know, even though against my better instincts, I don't want to seem like I'm rude. So you mm. you really lean into that and you want to people, please. Um, and I could just imagine me being in that situation and doing exactly everything that that videographer says, Um so yeah, it really it really did get under my skin. I can I
0: can uh, you, you reminded yeah. me of um, Malcolm Gladwell's book about strangers because in his book about strangers he talks about the fact that we are something like it's something ridiculous like sixty percent wrong about hundred percent of the people we meet that we shouldn't mm. trust. But yet all we want to do is trust them, and that's what yeah. Creep plays on brilliantly. Is that the videographer is a desperate for money, and money's not enough to make you do anything. But no, but, but it's once you're else, in once it? you're in the spiral. Hmm. Obviously he can get out anytime he wants in real in, in some reality, but within the nature of, like you say, people pleasing and/or wanting to see the good in people.
1: Yeah. Well not wanting to see that I don't want to believe this is the horrifying thing that I'm afraid it is, because that's too horrifying for my for me to believe, you know, or like
0: Indeed, no. And that's kind of and, and in a way, even though it looks and feels nothing like Lake Mungo, the the horror of both those films is is the decisions. Of the filmmaker to release information that subverts your expectation.
2: Mm. Which,
0: you know, got going even, you know, got, we can we can say the same about hosts, can't you? That the release of information as we go through the horror of it is what subverts your understanding of what's going on. Because you go, ah, this is happening. No, yeah. that's happening. This is oh, yeah. right, okay. Is and the it, minute yeah, you're yeah. on the wrong foot, you never get on the right. Hopefully, if the if the film plays with you enough. And obviously, creep does it does it brilliantly.
1: Mm-mm-mm.
0: Well, that's the end of our um, that was the end of our five minutes on that one.
1: Yeah, um, can I do a couple of special mentions? To you can, I yes.
0: I, I I see them in the notes. I was about to ask you. So you wanted to mention butterflies and kisses and be my cat. So you want to start with the first one?
1: Yeah. So butterfly kisses, just a quick one on this. It came out in two thousand and seventeen, mm. and it is a meta uh, pseudo documentary. Mm-hmm. It, so it's like a it's like a Uh, filmmakers um, uh, found footage of like a student film where they like find this creepy guy in the tunnel or whatever. And he, every time you, you turn the camera on and off, he gets a bit closer to you until he kills you. Oh wow! Uh, And then it's like the documentary filmmaker who found this, who then gets a documentary film crew to film him talking about the footage he found. So it's like all these layers and layers and layers and layers going back. It's just, like, such a really cool, like, mm. why have they chosen to do this um, as this sort of meta? And for me, that's, like, because, you know, we're, we're we're cynical now. We're not going to believe that this is real. But for me, it was more kind of a meta um, sort of critique of, of this kind of genre and how, you know, as as, like, the responsibility of a documentary filmmaker in these difficult situations. So mm. I would definitely recommend watching that. The second quick nod is to um a romanian found footage film yeah. uh called be my cat a film for Anne, which came out in 2015 I don't, um, and by the way i
0: don't know either of these i'm glad you've introduced me to some new ones so crack them
1: oh this is so this is a right like by adrian um Tofei. and this when i first saw this it's free on youtube i thought it was a, a real snuff film genuinely wow. i was like i'm watching a snuff film these people are these people are dead like and the premise, and this is something for you, Stuart, because I, I, I know you don't want to talk too much about your thing, but the protagonist is the bad guy. Mm. And he is filming himself. The premise is, I love Anne Hathaway so much um, that I am making a film for Anne Hathaway to prove that um, she should be in my next film and convince her that she should be in my next film. And to prove that, I will film myself with all these, these three different actresses and I will kill each one of them to prove the lengths I will go to, Blimey. to do anything for Anne Hathaway. And you're watching it and you're like, this guy, I can't tell if he's real, Is he? if he's for real or not. Because mm. it just feels like you're watching something you shouldn't be watching. It's, it's really uncomfortable. So if you want that, definitely recommend. No, no, I like, and, I like,
0: I like to be unsettled by how you receive it. And uh, I'll, I'll throw in one day in the hat, because it was something we discussed before we started is that, and we even we even talked about ourselves, you know, um, Cannibal Holocaust is considered the first. And if anybody wants to check out Punishment Park by Peter Watkins, which is 1971 described as a pseudo documentary in its IMDb description, it is a wonderful piece of fake documentary. You know, it, it goes into, it, it takes a camera into America and makes you believe that this awful thing is happening because it, it certainly doesn't look like actors and, um, it's a really visceral piece of film. And, and in the run up to doing this podcast with you, I have, I have ventured into editing Wikipedia for the first time in my life by adding that to the found footage page, which makes me feel either like a very, a very big adult or a stupid kid. I don't know which one it is yet. Uh, No doubt in the morning when somebody took it off and said, don't be ridiculous. Um, but uh, yes no it's it's a film that gets overlooked and and it's uh, it's a wonderful piece of cinema if nothing have to else check never that mind.
1: Out. Thank you Stuart.
0: Before you go is there anything that you can tell us you're up to next?
1: Um yeah what can I tell you about um oh, well okay so I can't tell you any I can't tell you the name I can't tell you what genre it is apart from it's a horror but me and uh Jed Shepard and Rob Savage are we've got a we're doing a film with Blumhouse it's coming out I think in the summer. Okay, um, cool. and I can't, I can't say the title because it just gives everything away. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, but well, I saw, it in, the, I saw it in the news you were working with them. So that's was uh...
1: Yeah. No, so I'm really, I I mean, it's one of those things where hosts got like hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. This is not going to get a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It's going to be, so, I think it's going to be quite a divisive film.
0: Excellent. I like um, divisive I like, You know,
1: I haven't seen any of the footage yet. I don't know. Like I, if it's going to be a tightrope to get it right
0: um you know so i I hope
1: fingers crossed we do
0: okay well fingers crossed for that i look forward to its reveal when it's when it's allowed to be when it's allowed out Mm -hmm. but uh, uh, you know again congratulations on host it's a it's a it's a wonderful story i mean i was lucky enough to interview um emily from um from shudder Shudder, yeah um for uh, some work i did for a nft with their inside pictures program Mm. and you know talking about the idea of a I mean, knowing how films get made and then hearing how one got conceived, developed and shot in three months and re- and released, should I say, as well, in three yeah. months is a phenomenal thing. And, uh, you know, and for it to be 100% on Rotten Tomatoes as a reaction to it from a kind of mass audience speaks volumes to it. So it's Thank it's, you. It's, I think it's amazing.
1: We're just as so surprised as everybody else. We really were just like, this will be fun. Yeah. So <laughs>
0: well look if you, thought, you, if you, thought, if you yeah. thought if you knew what if you knew exactly what you'd done you put it in a bottle and start selling it but you know yeah <laughs> it's uh it's great the magic whatever the three you were doing it's it's creating something great so more of that please fingers and, crossed uh, well look um it just gives me then to say thank you very much for giving me your time on the brick podcast
1: not at all it's been such a such a good time thank you Stuart, for letting me give my love letter so Found footage, and I can't wait to see what creative things people do next to try and subvert our, um, suspend our disbelief Indeed. in the next type of films. So, yeah, thanks, Stuart.